This episode is presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. For tickets for an upcoming game or concert, visit TicketKingOnline.com or a quick link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. TicketKingOnline.com, 612-341-4141. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. This is information not being reported by anyone else. You want the scoop? Here it is with Darren Doogie Wolfson. 87 episodes in, and yet they still tell us to keep on going. They haven't kicked us out yet. Hello, everyone. It is Scoop Podcast episode number 87. What better way to kick off the month of August than with a Scoop Podcast? Trying to figure out how to organize this one. If I try to knock out maybe a slightly shorter version on Tuesday, August 1st, or I'm trying to get home for a bit of National Night Out. My wife is hosting at least partly hosting the Neighborhood National Night Out event. We Unite Night or whatever the heck it's called. I don't even know what it's called now, but it's traditionally known as National Night Out. So I'm trying to leave the office for a good chunk of time mid-evening, but that will put me behind on my TV work. But regardless, whenever this posts, know that minimum it was done over the course of Tuesday, August 1st, potentially done over the course of two days, August 1st plus August 2nd. As of now, two guests scheduled, Glenn Taylor, Wolves owner, plus Twins assistant general manager Rob Antney. But we could always, if we especially push it to Wednesday, we could potentially add a third guest. Otherwise, we can shift that guest to next week. Still working on Sam Mitchell. Sam needs to answer my calls. Sam, if you're listening to this, call me back. We want to have you on the Scoop Podcast. You're one of the favorites. You're one of the regulars on the Scoop Podcast. I know that you'll do Andrew Wiggins for Kyrie Irving. I want you on to explain why you would do that trade. Before we get to Glenn Taylor, vinepark.com for Vine Park Brewery. They help sponsor the Scoop Podcast without Vine Park. This podcast does not exist. They are right off of West 7th Street, right between 35E and downtown. So if you exit West 7th off 35E and head toward downtown, it would be on your right-hand side. They're very aggressive, or at least semi-aggressive on Twitter. At Vine underscore Park underscore Brew, Andy Grage is the owner, really good guy. He is a big hockey nut. I'm sure he wishes we did more and more hockey, although we had Bruce Boudreaux on the Scoop Podcast a couple weeks ago. Vine Park is the only brewery in the Midwest where you can brew your own beer and make your own wine on Vine Park's equipment with Vine Park's help. Vine Park has been the fun place to brew your own beer and make your own wines since 1995. It was over the weekend. We took the kids to the St. Louis Park Community Pool. I was worn out, needed to take off. A little bit of the edge on Saturday night when the boys went down, had some Vine Park, had their Pilsner. It was fantastic. Now, it's not real tough to satisfy my taste buds, especially when it comes to beer, but I'm telling you, Vine Park's beer is worth checking out. You can brew your own beer or wine or take it home in 22-ounce bottles. You will take it home in 22-ounce bottles, whatever you brew or make. But if you want to stop in, they certainly have the growlers available. They have pale ales, IPAs, brown ales, porters, stouts, lagers, Pilsners, box. Wheats, they have the right recipe for you. Their phone number for more information, 651-228-1355, 651-228-1355, or everything that you need to find out about Vine Park Brewery, I bet is on their website. Check it out, vinepark.com. All right, let's get to Glenn Taylor. Just steal a few minutes of your time, Glenn. Always appreciate it. Glenn, obviously there are still moves to be made. I mean, Tibbs has said 
You know, he still wants to add, what, two wings, a point guard? Who knows? Maybe you even make a big move before opening night many months from now. But as you evaluate the turnover of who? Rubio, Levine, it looks like Mohammed. It certainly looks like Payne, Caspi. It looks like Rush. And then you look at the additions of who? Butler, Teague, Crawford, Gibson, Patton. How happy are you with the offseason so far? No, I'm very happy. I just think, uh, as you have indicated, our team is going to look different, play different. But uh, And as you indicated, we, we are not done yet. But uh, uh, to address the uh, deficiencies that we had last year, and I, I'm saying I think that was clear to all the fans that our three-point shooting needed to be improved and our defense needed to be improved. And just uh, our experience needed to be improved. Experience, I'm talking about that we would get towards the end of the game and collapse or during different parts of the, of the game where the other team made a run on us. We didn't have the ability to put a stop in on it. So we know we knew that we had to go out there and bring in some talent from the outside. And, and I think that... Uh, Kips and uh, Scott have worked very hard to do that. I mean, I would certainly say, Glenn, the defensive warts, I mean, seemingly those should be solved with your additions. Uh, toughness, experience, you know, those those problems are solved. Did you solve the three-point issue, though, you think? Not yet. I think there's, uh, I think uh, probably one of the things that'll, uh, we can't calculate, but we, we will see is that Wiggins, is spending the summer on, uh, you know, improving some things, and one of them he's been working on is threes. If he could come back and uh, conquer that, I mean, that in itself would go a long ways uh, solving it because he plays so many minutes. Um, Butler also uh, can shoot threes, but he... Is an experienced guy that if he could improve on that also during the summer, it would be helpful. But I think that uh, uh, Crawford will come in and, and help us because he'll be probably one of the first substitutes that would come in at two or three. He'll come in at two, but either the guys can slide over to three. So he should get minutes. He should help us. But I still think that uh, we are still looking for two more guys that can um, shoot the threes. I know that we have made an offer to one of those guys that I know, um, but he's waiting right now to see if there is some other opportunities because we have only offered a minimum, but that's all the money we have left. And there might be an opportunity for him to get more than that on another team. Although it is... it is but a goofy we, market, though, Glenn, right? I mean, these guys think they're getting more money. I'm not quite sure they're getting more money elsewhere. No, and I would, I would agree with you that, uh, uh, that as time goes on, they've got to choose to take a contract because there's more guys out there than there are spaces open right now. And, you know, if they want to have something to say about the team that they get on, and uh, most of them... Uh, and I'm only speaking to what I've been told uh, by our staff, uh, seem to uh, have uh, Minnesota as one of their priorities. 
I mean, Tony Allen is another guy I think that's on your radar. You can correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know if he shoots the three, but you think about toughness and defense just adding on to that. But whether it's Tony Allen, other free agents, there's a lot of good players still available. There are guys that will help you. Like Frank. So, and I know we're communicating with all of those fans for agents, and I know that uh, uh, they're all <laughs> kind of giving us uh, the, uh, well, we're going to wait. I think they're, you know, I think they're waiting to see if there's going to be any other further trade. Uh, in particular, probably uh, maybe someplace like New York, and then see if there's some openings after the trade. That does make sense because if the Knicks eventually move Carmelo, you know, that could be a three-team deal. It could create all sorts of roster openings, you know, in multiple markets. So I guess I I do understand that that line of thinking on Wiggins, Glenn. Sometimes we forget, I guess I'm guilty at times of forgetting he is only 22 years old. You know, he's been in the league for for a few years now, but nobody is a finished product at 22. So I'm with you. If he's putting the work in, there's no reason why he can't become a better three-point shooter. And I was at uh, Ryan Saunders' wedding, and Wiggins was there, and, and we had a conversation about that his shooting and a couple of other skills that he needs to improve on, and and I mean, he he knows it, so and he says he's really working on it. You, I remember back when Kevin McHale uh, used to work uh, with us, and uh, I talked to Kevin about that, and he said that every year when he played ball, he took the summer and concentrated on one new skill set. He says, you know, you don't have to make it very complicated, but every year you should learn one new skill set that you became very good at. And, you know, you, we saw what a great player he became. So, Glenn, while you're at the at the Ryan Saunders wedding, did you, you know, as you're on the dance floor there with Andrew, did you did you negotiate his contract <laughs> extension right there on the dance floor? No, I, no, uh, I didn't. But uh, I did mention it to him that I have an offer out to him, and I assume we're going to get it. And he gave me his usual big smile. <laughs> I mean, it's is there really even a negotiation when you're when you're offering the five year max? Is there much of a negotiation? I don't think there should be. That's my point. But I I don't know if, the, if there's anything with Andrew. I think the, it's just the the job of a um, his agent, and his agent hasn't been in town. It's going to be in town. I know it's in August. So I think it's more that type of a deal that that uh, we have we have a month and a half or two months yet to get it done. And, and uh, I think they're comfortable. My guess is they're comfortable we're going to get it done. We're comfortable we're going to get it done. But, you know, in my world, I, I just don't get things done. And I think not, that's not necessarily the, the way that everybody operates. So I just have to be patient. Did he ask you at all about some of these crazy trade rumors out there that, that his name has popped up in? No, we didn't have any. It was all positive about uh, him preparing for next year. I mean, do you laugh at some of these trade rumors, or do you just say, hey, people have jobs to do, they're reporting, and let it just yeah, be? Yeah, I would say the second. I would say the second thing. I don't laugh at them because I think it's part of the business of reporters to uh, speculate. And in uh, some cases, I think they're just making them up, you know, because I, I don't see the ground. They don't make sense to me. But... I think I understand that, that that's the world we live in. And, and um, you know, a lot of people respond to that. It keeps activity going, and that's the world that you live in, and I guess I live in it also. 
I mean, I guess the beauty, Glenn, is there is a lot of interest in your team as we sit here in August. We can't go back many Augusts where that's been the case. But right now, you guys are a hot topic. You're remaining a hot topic. That's a good thing. That's a very good thing. I mean, the measurement, of course, is uh, the following that we will get to take us into the year uh, ticket sales and, and, and uh, you know, game attendance. Uh, I mean, that's, what, that's the measure of of that so it's important that we get off to a good start so that people what they are excited about and what they believe in they see it happen on the court so you know last year we had a, a lot of excitement over a very young team but uh you know that that we started out with difficulty and that carried over so uh, there's small things that make a difference and and this year uh we have to play well all year but especially we have to start out well at our home court. You know what question I get more than anything, Glenn? It's not even Kyrie Irving, or maybe it's Kyrie Irving, but you know what question I get maybe more than anything is, when will you guys release your new uniforms? Do you have any clue? Well, um, the answer is no. I don't know. I don't know the date. I, but that doesn't mean I wasn't told, but I can't remember what it is. But presumably it's... It's got to be this month, right? I mean, the initial buzz was late July, early August. It has to be really soon, I would think. Well, I asked Ethan that question. Yeah, I could. Yeah, you're right. I should reach out to Ethan again. I just, I still though, I, I it isn't one of my priorities. So no, it's not that. really mine either. I, I don't care if you guys are out there shirtless. It really doesn't matter to me. But, but so many fans. I am shocked at the amount of fans that are that are curious that really want to see your uniforms. Well, I would say this, that I have seen them. Do you like <laughs> I them? Seen, I have seen three of our uniforms, so are I know you? that they know what they are, so it's just a date. But I don't recall that I asked the question that you just asked. Are you a so, fan of the uniforms? Yeah, I think, I think everybody's going to be really happy with them. Very nice. Are you, Glenn, surprised that Shabazz Muhammad is still on the market? Yes. Uh, yes, I am. Uh, uh and uh, I hope that he gets a good contract uh, from somebody because, I mean, he, he's a gifted player that uh, if everything would go right, uh, I think could really help a team. Uh, I'm not sure why he's still sitting there. Um, so, yes, I am surprised. The Ricky Rubio trade, was that about the hardest trade that you've been involved in? I mean, maybe the KG trade was harder, but when ranking all the trades you've been a part of, maybe Marbury was harder. But it has to be right up there because I know how much you, how much Becky loves Ricky Rubio. Yeah, no, I would say that probably the KG was the hardest because I was, uh, you know, close to KG also, and he was so uh, important to our team, and and I and I felt that I sort of lost control of that because of the negotiations a little bit, so, uh, and I wish uh, it wouldn't have gone that way. Um, so Marbury wasn't uh, emotional at all. I mean, uh, I wish it wouldn't have happened. I think he made a bad choice, but there was nothing I could do about that. Ricky, um, I, he is just such a likable person. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't think he had – I don't want to even compare his stature to the team as KG – but he was such a likable person and an important person and came along. And then, then uh, you know, he did take the time uh, to visit a lot with us, and he had his mom and dad at our house and stuff like that. So you, 
it went way beyond uh, his play on the court, and I'm sure it'll stay that way. I, I, I have a very definite feeling that, as I have with other players, have a good relationship with players on other teams. I don't see that changing with Ricky. But, you know, uh, you know, I spent quite a bit of time talking to the coach as to why he felt he needed to look into that trade. And, uh, you know, I guess he, I didn't start out that way, but eventually he persuaded me that that was something that uh, he needed to do. How is Nemanja Bielica doing? He's doing well. He was at Ryan's wedding, so I also had the time to talk to him this weekend. Uh, he looks good. He said he feels good. He says, I'll be ready. Uh, um, I mean, I guess that's all I can say is that uh, he was very positive. I mean, that's good. I mean, that's all that matters is he's ready to go right. come training camp preseason or, I guess, ultimately yeah. the regular season. How about how about your rookie, Justin Patton? How's he doing? I... I, uh, I didn't talk to him personally, but uh, talked to the doctors on him, and, and their answer is he's progressing as they, they hoped he would. And, you know, when, when I had talked to him earlier, they said that he should be ready when we uh, start uh, the season. So, you know, but in a sense, he's still going to be behind mm-hmm. uh, just because he's a rookie and and we anticipated that he would be practicing in the summer. So I think that realistically I can't have real high expectations just that he's missed the summer, even though physically he may be ready. Speaking of Ryan Saunders, would he make some sense as your G League coach in Des Moines, or do you want to keep him here in Minnesota? We haven't made the decision on who's going down there, but, I mean, his name has certainly been mentioned as a – as a possibility, but uh, that decision hasn't been made yet only because I think uh, we're looking at uh, quite a few different individuals, uh, not all who are, you know, presently associated with us, but uh, other, uh, you know, other people, but uh, not that he wouldn't be good down there, but I think he may have a place on this team and be helpful to this staff and they may not want to, um, uh, utilize him down in Des Moines. They may want to have him closer. So, I mean, it may not be uh, thought of as a negative, but as a positive that he's, he's uh, m- more helpful here in, uh, with the Timberwolves. I mean, he is a really good coach, isn't he? I mean, some people well, will play a- the nepotism card and all that, but, I mean, just, you know, basketball chops, relating to players, X's and O's. Ryan is, his future is incredibly bright. Well, what I see in him is a little bit what I saw in Flip, and I, you know, met Flip when he was, uh, you know, back uh, towards those ages. But when he ran the the D League uh, at that time, Flip was involved in all the different parts. I mean, he wasn't just a coach. He was a, a business guy, a recruiter, a uh, uh, visionary, and, and all of those things. And I think those are some of the skill sets that Ryan brings. Glenn, we'll get to the links and John Cunlin in just a second, and then I'll let you go. But on the on the flash sheets case, are you happy? There's there's resolution. Yeah. I, yes. Yeah. So you probably I made a comment on that. I think I think what we did was right and all that, but still it was upsetting uh, that we had it out there, and I wanted just to get it behind. And and I'm okay with the the 
compromise that uh, that was made. On the links, nineteen and two. What what Glenn is is the secret to to all this sustained success, or is it pretty obvious that you have the best coach in the league, you have some of the best players in the league? No, I think that's right. When I see him go out on the court, I can visualize that we should be uh, the winning team just by looking at our athletes and our coaching. I mean, right now, I mean, we're just going at a high level. Now, there's some you know special things that happened this year. Uh, that makes us, for whatever reason, almost a stronger team, and that is both Rebecca and uh, Phil have uh, changed their game over the summer and where we were really relying on our three guards, sort of, uh, you know, calling my guard, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, to do the scoring and do the penetration and stuff like that. It has changed this year that we don't have to count on them and, uh, you know, Phil uh, has just been dominant, and she just looks dominant. And I think I would say her confidence that, uh, that what her teammates have in her and what she has in herself has really made a difference. And then Rebecca, uh, she's always been tremendous on defense and uh, getting rebounds. But for some reason or other, all that practice that she has done in her shooting, she's improved this year. Uh, and, again, I think it's a confidence thing because, I mean, she's a veteran. She did those shots, but not at the level that she's doing it this year. So, all of a sudden, you have your big two playing great defense, great offense, and it's taken a lot of the, the weight off of the uh, the other three uh, ladies. Um, but, uh, you know, we can count on them, uh, you know, when we need it. Do you agree with your coach's frustration about the playoff games shifting to Williams Arena? Although I'm not quite sure, Glenn, what's what's the alternative? Like, your new arena is going to be fabulous. I mean, renovated arena, but pretty much it's a new arena, but but they're still working on it. And the Wild have, have preseason games at the X. I mean, I don't know what else you could do. No, and, I, and I, I've spoke to the coach and I spoke to the players about that, that we have to use the 2R advantage that uh, – it is. A, it is. A, it's going to be different for our opponents. We'll have a chance to practice their way with the rays and stuff. That's going to be different. And of course, Lindsay's going to feel it. Mm-hmm. You know, she's, she's she's at home. Uh, so I, you know, tried to tell them it's a positive experience. Um, uh, but the truth is, you know, I I said I said I looked at uh, Mankato bringing them down there. I have a nice arena named after yes, me. Yes, you do. There. I was so just there yesterday. I yes. said that uh, we could do it down there. But how I made that decision was based upon for our fans. Mm-hmm. That we have such a large fan base that if I moved it to Mankato, you know, I can get four or 5,000 in there. But our fan base is you know, going to be closer to the playoffs, to 15,000, mm-hmm. which is closer to what Williams. And so I think you owe it to the fans to have it in a location that they can get to and that they're in and that they all – can come and to enjoy the fruits of a of a, the year, and uh, so that's that's how it's made. But nevertheless, I would go back to what you said. I don't think there was any other good alternative, uh, anyway. So um, you know, so that's how I, I you know. But I wanted to explain that first to my players and to the coach. And sure, they would prefer when you're winning in a court, you prefer to. <laughs> to stay there. I understand that, but when you can't do anything about it, you, you don't look at it as a negative, but you turn it around and make it a positive. 
Was there any way to finish up Target Center a couple months early? Was that an option? Well, yeah, certainly we looked at it, but it wasn't going to happen. Yeah, so, okay, so there wasn't one. And, I mean, you're right. I mean, you would have been, you know this, you would have been roasted if you if you brought those games to Mankato. So many fans would have been upset with you. You couldn't do that. Well, not my Mankato fans wouldn't be. No, you're right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I mean, with, with a majority of your fan base or a good portion well, of your fan base here in the Twin Cities. Have have uh, moved from Minneapolis over to St. Paul, and uh, just imagine that we go over to St. Paul and we get bigger. You know, the attendance increases. I mean, what loyal fans? So obviously, all of our present fans came, and we added some. You know, so they've been so loyal. I think, without question, that's the number one thing that uh, my mind went to, and what you want to you want to help those fans. Okay, I'll leave you with this, Glenn. On John Cunla, I mean, we always mourn when somebody passes, but 101 years old, you think about his legacy, his basketball legacy, we should celebrate his life. Well, we should because, I mean, he was more than just a coach. What a man and what a teacher and, and uh, you know, a great human being. And then to live that long and, and not, you know, I talked to him, it goes back a couple years, but the, he still, you could have a good conversation with him, you know. So what a wonderful person. Glenn, thank you so much. Speaking of wonderful people, that would be you. Thank you always for your time. You're so gracious, and I'll be in touch. All right. Thank you, Dory. Okay, thanks, Glenn. Bye-bye. Hey, guys, this is Manny Hill. And I'm Derek James. We are the Raised by Wolves podcast. You can check us out, of course, at 1500ESPN.com. You can search us on iTunes, and you can check us out, of course, at Podcast One. We talk Timberwolves. We talk music. We'll talk food a little bit once in a while, but uh, mainly talk basketball and, and a little bit of music as well. So check us out. You can find us, of course, iTunes, Podcast One, 1500ESPN.com, the Raised by Wolves podcast. I have to suck up just a little bit to the owner of the Wolves, although I've said this for many years, going back to when I worked at the other radio station. As far as owners go, especially in this town, he's as accessible as any. In fact, I think if you go across the country, I mean, Jerry Jones talks a lot, I guess, down in Dallas. But for the most part, many owners don't talk. Glenn makes himself available, and he makes himself available for more than the media outlet at the Star Tribune that he owns. He is equal opportunity. He will reach out or at least call back a number of folks when they reach out to him for comment on certain issues. So we always thank Glenn for his time. He did say they have an offer out to a three-point shooter. Is that potentially Anthony Morrow? One could argue he's the best three-point shooter on the market. We'll get to that in a second. Some other Wolves notes in a second, but just based on schedule, let's get to Rob Antony now, Twins assistant general manager. Wanted to get some reaction to the trade deadline, the move of Brandon Kinsler, the move of Jaime Garcia. So let's get to Rob Antony right now. Rob, thanks as always for your time. Correct me if I'm wrong. I should have all this information in front of me, but I don't. But I believe it was July 19th. You guys were 48 and 46 like a half game out of first in the division, you know, half game behind Cleveland. I think in the wild card, you were either the second wild card or maybe within a game, game and a half of that second wild card. What has changed? What changed in the last 12, 13 days? Uh, I'm not sure I can answer exactly or pinpoint it, but, you know, we were looking for some direction. We went, we were buyers. We went and got Garcia to help stabilize the rotation, and and all of a sudden we lost some games, and Kansas City and Cleveland weren't losing at all. No. And all of a sudden they created the divide and the separation that we were hoping we would be able to go on a run and do 
do that to them, but uh, the role was kind of reversed, and so we kind of had to pivot, and and therefore, uh, in the end, we, we became a little bit of sellers and, and were able to move a, a couple players with expiring contracts and, and acquire three guys that we think can be starting pitchers for us. Can you elaborate a little bit more on, you know, quote, kind of pivoting? I mean, were you guys always prepared in the event? I mean, just looking at the run differential, there had to be, at least internally, some back and forth of, okay, I get it, we're over 500, we're in this, but are we really in this? So were you guys always prepared to sell an asset or two, or was there some serious pivoting that took place? Well, you you keep track of things, and obviously the run differential and some other factors uh, probably overstated or, or kind of were the underlying factors of, of our record or defied it. Our record is probably better than we had played or that you would expect it to be with, with the numbers. So we knew there was a possibility that, that uh, things could go south a little bit on us, and we always knew what we would probably try and accomplish if it did, and we also looked at it and hoped that that wouldn't happen, and if we were in that situation, we weren't going to give up on the season, and we were going to try and add a piece or two to try and give this team a chance to continue to compete throughout the season. I think we still can compete, but I also understand that, you know, the perception we traded our closer and we traded away a veteran starter that we worked hard to acquire. But uh, in the end, we we thought that uh, the deal and, and ownership, really, Jim Pohl had making the commitment to say, hey, you know what, we can take back money on Garcia to get the best prospects possible. Uh, we were able to really acquire a couple players that we would not have been able to do without taking back money like we did with the Yankees. Was this trade deadline any different for you personally, Rob, based on your experience of last year being the guy? I mean, we all think about the Nunez trade, you bringing back Mejia. I mean, that trade has worked out brilliantly. Is there anything you learned from being in that final say chair last year that you brought to the table this year? Well, I I think I have a greater understanding of how hard it is to make a trade. There's so many factors that have to line up. You know, there's a lot of uh, posturing. There's a lot of uh, you you really have to kind of set your value of what you need to get in return. Other clubs are doing the same thing, and sometimes it's just difficult to match up. There are players that you would need to get back to to kind of put it over the bar and make it worth your while where you feel good about it. And a lot of times the other team doesn't want to part with those players when it's young players with ceiling. Uh, it's getting increasingly difficult to acquire prospects that have ceiling. Teams are very protective of them as they well should be the way salaries for free agency and, and the long-term contracts have gone. So uh, it, it's not like I didn't understand that prior to last year, but when you have to make the final decision, it is a, a lot different than uh, when you're giving suggestions and, and doing work and trying to help uh, come up and create with deals. Uh, now Derek and Thad have to make the final decisions. On Kinsler, as challenging as, as those dynamics were, I mean, did that thing go right up until, I mean, heck, did you guys not call, I think it was Falvey who called Kinsler. Was he like called like after the deadline technically? Did that trade go through like 60 seconds before the deadline? Yeah, I think we were down to about a minute or two. So, yeah, we were uh, – there were a lot of things that had to come together in the end, and uh, I think we agreed on it probably five or six minutes before the deadline, but you still have to enter all the information, get it to the commissioner's office, and, and get it approved prior to the 3 o'clock deadline. So we, we contacted Brandon immediately to because we wanted to notify him. He's been uh, 
been a great guy for us, not just a pitcher, but also a leader in that clubhouse and in that bullpen. And, and when we needed a closer, when things were, when uh, Perk got hurt and, and we were struggling out there, he stepped up and did a tremendous job for us. I mean, who's to say you don't bring him back in November or December, right? In the winter, he's a free agent. You can always resign him. He loves Eddie, Eddie Cordado in the bullpen. He loves a lot of people here. I could easily see a scenario if you guys have interest. I don't know if you guys will, but if you guys have sincere interest in bringing him back, he'd like to return. I mean, I could see that happening. Uh, I can't talk about another team's player now, but we uh, we have nothing but respect for Brandon. Appreciate what he did, and and uh, if he's a free agent this this winter, we'll address that situation. Tell us about the prospect you got back for him. We'll go down the list, but I guess let's start with him, the the Watson kid. Tyler Watson, 21-year-old left-hander. He's a big kid. He uh, He's about 6'5", 220, 230, and uh, we believe he's he has the ability to start. He's always been a starter, and he looks like a durable guy. He's, his stuff is, is fairly average across the board, but he's got very good command and control. He knows how to pitch, and and for being 20, he's he's shown uh, in advanced stages of, of pitchability. All right. How about some of the other prospects you got? How do you say the kid's name that's starting for Chattanooga tonight? Uh, Zach Littell. Littell. Okay. I wasn't sure yeah. if it was Lytle, Littell, whatever. Yep. But, but Littell. Zach Littell, what's, the, what's the book on old. him? Hey, he's a righty who, if you look at the numbers – I mean, he's put up really, really good numbers. You look at the pitches, and you're not he, okay. He's got an average fastball. He's got a, a decent curveball. He's got a pretty good changeup. He throws strikes. He can really compete. His makeup is off the charts. And all the all the data that we have, his fastball really plays. It plays much better than a ninety, a normal ninety, ninety-one fastball. It plays up in the zone. He's got a high spin rate and a lot of a lot of movement for him up in the zone and you know he's he he was a guy who got traded over to the Yankees he was he was hard to pry away and he was a priority for us um they that that was uh the, the hang up with them trying to trying to get that done they got him from Seattle and uh this year he was 9 and 1 at Tampa went up to Double A Trent and he was 5 and 0 oh there um, nice. You know, with 177 and a 205 ERA, so he's been absolutely dominant. A lot of ground balls. He can strike people out, um, and he doesn't walk many. He's been under two about every stop of the, along the way in, in walks per nine as well. I mean, sounds like an easy 40-man ad in November then, huh? Yeah, he's a guy uh, that ha- will have to go on, and, and I would say so. And, and uh, Tyler Watson's a guy that we don't have to worry about until after 19, and Dietrich ends. The other guy that we got from the Yankees, a left-hander, he's 26, and he's had a, a lot of success as well. He probably has a little less ceiling, but he's a guy that we think is an upgrade on, on a lot of guys that we've run up here the last couple of years. And so he's a nice depth piece for us who could be a fifth starter, could be a guy when you need to go get him for a few starts, but... Uh, you never really want to put a ceiling on those guys when they've had success. Sometimes those guys just need an opportunity, and sometimes places like the New York with the Yankees, you're not going to get that opportunity. He may get that here, and, and hopefully he grabs hold of it and takes advantage of it. I mean, is there a chance that ends is here even before the end of the year? Yeah, it's a possibility, definitely. So, okay, so he could easily be a September call, but he's already on the 40-man, is that accurate? Yes, he's on the Yankees 40-man, so he just transfers over to ours. And then how about the lefty you got for John Ryan Murphy from Arizona? 
Gabriel Moyo, left-hander, uh, he may remind you a little bit of Eddie Guardado. He's a pit bull. He, uh, I think he's his last 27 outings, he hasn't given up a run. He's just put up ridiculous numbers. He hasn't missed on a save opportunity all year. He's some 19 for 19 or some crazy at double-A, and, and he's only 22. He's got an average to uh, plus fastball, uh, an okay breaking ball, a really good changeup. But the breaking ball has improved this year, and this is a guy who attacks as well, strikes out a lot of guys, and doesn't walk too many. He's got pretty good command and control for a, a, a late reliever. And he's a 40-man guy? He is a consideration after this year, so the way he's going, if he continues to pitch like he has been, I would say there's a good chance he could be on our 40-man. I mean, how much do you guys, it has to be a lot, I presume, think about the 40-man. It's not something that... that we in the media or fans think about often, but heck, you think about the Gonsalveses, the Cole Stewarts, Lewin Diaz, Lewis Thorpe. I mean, I'm leaving out like eight or nine names. I mean, you have some interesting 40-man decisions to make in November. Yeah, no question. And when you acquire these guys, you look at it and you say, hey, are they upgrades? Are they closer to the big leagues? Are they more prepared? Would they be able to stick? Uh, so you factor all those types of things in, and, and we are going to have some difficult decisions to make, and we're going to also want to leave some spots open for free agency and and do some different things, but you're always looking to try and upgrade, and we're trying to improve and increase our, our starting depth and, and the ability to go get some guys to to go with Barrios and to go with Mejia and, and Santana and, and uh, Gibson. We need to get him on track. Gonsalves and Romero and Stewart and Jorge and and now you add Latell to that mix and ends so we're starting to to stockpile some names where there's going to be some competition and and uh, when you have some injuries you have some guys to be able to go get and it should be a, a pretty good battle to to make the rotation. Speaking of starter depth, at least looking at the rest of this year, Dylan G is up. Is there a good chance he will start a game in the near future? And if he does. I believe he would be your 13th different starting pitcher this year. Yeah, it's been crazy. Um, there is a chance he could start. Um, we, we're going to need a, a starter on, I believe, August 4th. So he will be a candidate. Um, if he's not starting, he we finally might have that guy who can come in and give us three, four, five innings in middle mm-hmm. relief and not have to burn up the bullpen an inning or two at a time and go through all your relievers in, in one game when your starter doesn't get out of the second or third inning, which unfortunately happens sometimes, and, and we've kind of had to piece it together um, to have a guy there that can just come in and, and take over and save the rest of the pen is, has a lot of value. Any sense how Molly will will play out the ninth inning? I mean, if you guys have a lead tonight in San Diego, I mean, heck, he'll, he'll meet with reporters here in a couple hours. But do you have a sense of you guys in the front office? Did you do a conference call with Molly today? Do you do you have a sense on how he's gonna how he's gonna play out the bullpen? Uh, Derek may have talked to him. I know he talked to him after the after the trade yesterday, and they may have discussed some of that. But we have not discussed it at all in here today. Um, there are different candidates. I mean, Presley has some of the best stuff in the league, and he's had a really rough go this year, which is hard to understand uh, with the stuff he has. Hildenberger's a, just a kid, but he's been tremendous since mm-hmm. we brought him up. Uh, Taylor Rogers had a, uh, is having a rough road trip, and, and up until then he's been about our most reliable guy out there. Uh, he and Kinsler were our two best relievers. Um, so... I think he's got he has some options, and it's going to be interesting to uh, see which way he decides and, and wants to go. 
I mean, are you okay with a platoon? I mean, you know, I guess just based on matchups, maybe it's lefty Rogers, maybe it's righty Belial or righty Presley. Do you have a preference? If you don't have a a lockdown guy that, you know, you're going to bring in and, you know, no matter what, this guy's going to get the final outs for you. Uh, sometimes it, it's beneficial to go ahead if they've got their two best hitters coming up or left-handers, let Rodgers try and mm-hmm. close it out. And if they're right-handers, you might be going with, with somebody else. So I don't have a problem with that. And I also understand, and I know TK was always a believer in Guardy that everybody knows their role, including the closer, and everybody knows who's going to be coming out of the door when you got the lead in the ninth inning. That's ideal, and, and everybody else can settle into their role. But when all of a sudden uh, you don't have that guy, now now we need to figure some things out, and some guys are going to get an opportunity, and, and they might be able to get a leg up on, on some others heading into next year. Did you guys come close to, to making any other trades? I mean, you moved the two pending free agents. Was anything else relatively close? I don't think so. You know, a lot of names came up, teams threw some different scenarios at us. We discussed them. You never turn a blind eye to anything, and... But there wasn't anything else that we thought or tried hard to pursue that we weren't able to do. Um, We reacted. We threw out some concepts to some other teams. um, But but nothing else was, you know, we weren't scrambling to try and get anything else done at the deadline. It was we were basically focused on uh, trying to see if we could bring the Kinsler deal to some finality and, and get something for him for the last few months of this season that could help us for in the future. And, uh, you know, like you said, you never know what happens in the future. I mean, I suppose August could be busy, right? I mean, you can make trades in August. It is allowed. Now, there are complications with with waivers. I don't know how many of your guys will get through waivers, but I assume you guys will be pretty active here this month. Well, I think about every team runs almost everybody on their roster through. So some of it's just a formality. And sometimes guys get claimed to be blocked. But teams also need to be careful not to to make ill-advised claims because you could stick them with a contract that you don't want anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that we're in that situation, but uh, other teams do need to look at that and know that, hey, if we get this guy, can we afford him? You know, on our, on our payroll, will it push us over the luxury tax, all those different things. Um, so it is possible to get some guys through, and other guys it'll be all our young players get claimed every year um, because there's there's no risk in it, and they want to make sure that there isn't some – big trade that uh, they're looming out there that they're going to regret not just putting in a claim to block on. Four quickies and I'll let you go. One of those young players that undoubtedly will get claimed is, is Jorge Polanco. But but why the regression? What have you guys pinpointed on, on why he's taken a step backwards this year? It's tough to pinpoint. I think the biggest thing is his confidence. He's never struggled offensively uh, since the day we signed him. Um, and his his defense, ironically, has has got improved. To his credit, he's he's worked hard at shortstop, and there was question marks about if he'd be able to play short. I think he's been an average shortstop, a league average shortstop. But uh, offensively, he just I, I just pin it mostly on on his confidence because he's the same guy. He just isn't locked in like he was, and now he's swinging at pitches out of the zone getting himself out, just not taking quality at-bats, and that's never happened before. Um, he doesn't have options. He'd be an ideal guy to send down and try and get straightened out, but that's not an option that we have. And 
and he wouldn't clear waivers no. if we tried to send them through. So you just have to keep working with them, and, and I think Paul's done a good job, and Adrian's has done a really nice job when we mm-hmm. plugged him in there at short. So um, that kind of gives us the opportunity for uh, James and Rudy to keep working with Polanco and just trying to try and get his rhythm back and, and get some confidence back, and hopefully he can finish strong the last few months. Are defensive questions still there? I mean, for the longest time we were wondering, is his best position shortstop, second base? At least defensively, do you have a sense that he can stick at shortstop for a long time? I think he has the ability to play shortstop. Um, I, I still believe that second base may be his best position, but he certainly has done a nice job over at short. Um, and our thought was if, if he's able to hold short with the offense he brings to the table, this is this could turn out to be a great thing for us. And mm-hmm. ironically, the offense has struggled and the defense has probably exceeded expectations. So I think he can play short in the big leagues. Um, whether there's somebody, Adrian's is really good defensively at short. Um, so I'm sure there are, there are some shortstops that are better defensively, but the improvement in the steps he's made defensively, yeah, I believe he can play short. Is Nick Gordon's best position? I mean, you said maybe or probably, you know, second base is for Planco. You guys have a sentient on Gordon if it's shortstop or second base? I think the industry is a little mixed. We're probably a little more bullish that he'll be able to play short. He's got plenty of arm. It's just he's he's made probably 23 errors, I think, this year, which is not abnormal, especially for a kid that young in double-A. Uh, he has a lot of confidence. His, his offense is ahead of his defense. He's got a really advanced approach offensively. Um, but I, I believe he's athletic and will continue to improve at short and will be able to play short as well. Is it likely Glenn Perkins pitches in a Twins uniform before the year is over? I hope so. It's been encouraging the last week or so. He's gotten into a couple games. He struggled his last time out, but I think he feels better about how his arm feels, how his shoulder feels after these outings where uh, prior attempts to kind of ramp it up, he would come up sore the next day, and I think he was getting discouraged and wondering if that was a a possibility of him pitching it all this year, and, and now he's with the Miracle on Rehab, and if he continues to stay healthy and regain some velocity, I think there is that possibility. I mean, that's a big if, though, right? I mean, if he's throwing at 87-88, I don't know if he can get major league hitters out. No, but he I believe his last time he was 88-90 to 90 and, oh, and good. Okay. time before he was 89-91. to 91. So he has shown, he has touched, touched the 90s. It's not the 94-95 that we grew accustomed to, uh, but I think it's, it's headed in the right direction. And then I'll leave you with this. Good news for Trevor May. I saw him tweet that he will throw for the first time since, I guess, Tommy John surgery, right, on Thursday? Yeah, and he's worked really hard. I give him a ton of credit. He's kept his body in really good shape, and he's done all the right things. He hasn't tried to push it when he felt good, and when it didn't feel as good, he was smart enough to, to dial it back a notch and follow all the doctors and the trainers' instructions. So um, we're optimistic that he'll be full tilt, uh, hopefully ready to go and win a job in the rotation next spring. I mean, he's he's one of many forgotten guys, Rob. I mean, you think about it, every team has injury issues, but whether it's him, J.T. Chagua, I mean, who knows, maybe Nick Birdie could be helping you right now, but he's out with the, with the surgery. Right. Ryan O'Rourke, I'm probably leaving out a name or two, but you've had so many guys hurt, so many pitchers, I guess, in particular. Yeah, Phil Hughes is another guy that, you know, if we can get him healthy, and that's why we're trying to address it now rather than get through the season and deal with it. And hopefully he can come back 
we need him to be a starter. Pitching an inning out of the bullpen here and there, that's not the impact that we're looking for from Phil. And I know he's been frustrated. He just wants to get healthy, and hopefully he can do that as well and provide some of that veteran uh, leadership and presence in the rotation to go along with some of the younger players. And and like I say, another guy that you can add to that whole mix, and, and hopefully your ideal scenario is that your major league rotation's giving you a chance to win every time out, and you've got four or five guys at Rochester that anytime you need to go get them, you feel pretty good about it. Then you're then you're getting your system in order like you want. And then what about Hector Santiago? Is he close? Uh, he has made, I believe, three rehab starts. He's struggled. He struggled to throw strikes. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure how close he is. I think he's getting closer to healthy, but I'm not sure he's in uh, in major league. Shape or uh, his pitches are, are major league ready right now, mm. and that's been a frustrating thing. This guy's never been on the DL in his life before this season, so he's trying to get through it. He's battling, um, so we'll see how that goes. Thank you, Rob. All right, Doogie. Talk to you later. Twins assistant general manager Rob Antney. There's a different time to get into the future of one Paul Molitor because Derek Falvey. And Thad Levine will ultimately make the decision. Rob's not going to make that decision. I can tell you there's been no dialogue about a contract extension. So they will decide. His contract is up after the season. They will decide what his future is on whatever the end of the season is, October 2nd, October 3rd, October 4th. Now, the way the Twins have played of late, if they end up finishing under 500, end up not playing meaningful games, you're down the stretch, and heck, how do you play meaningful games when you trade your closer? In many ways, the front office is saying we're throwing in the towel, although I get it. I completely get it. You just don't have much of a chance to make the playoffs. So if you can get a prospect you really like, to me, you do it. But I understand where fans are coming from. Why throw in the towel? But I also understand where Paul Molitor is coming from, saying, hey, what is this team you gave me to begin with? We knew the bullpen had warts. We're not surprised the bullpen has struggled. You know, so how can you evaluate me on that? And, hey, we've won a lot of one-run games, so it'll be interesting, but I'm just telling you, to this point, because there's been no extension dialogue, you have to wonder what the future is for Paul Molitor. I mean, no doubt that there are those wondering, you know, not just Molly, but those in the front office as well that aren't attached to Falvey and Levine, wondering what their future holds. You know what, I'll get a bunch of Twins notes out of the way, then I'll get back to the Wolves and the Little Vikings and we'll call it a podcast, try to keep it at 60 minutes. I will not tape. I was going to maybe have Brent Flair on to talk me, Kyle Granlund, Nino Niederreiter, but I think I will aim for him next week. By next week, we should have some Marcus Foligno contract news as well, and, hey, they still are after a forward or two in free agency. The Twins also got calls from the Red Sox, Diamondbacks, Rays, Rockies, and Indians, among others, on Kinsler. Washington had one of their big shots scouts at Target Field a couple weeks ago. They had really circled in on Kinsler. They made the deal for those two A's relievers, but certainly Kinsler was somebody that really interested the Nationals going back at least a few weeks. Told, as Rob said, from others in the Twins front office that they did not come close on any other deals. The Mariners and Astros were among the teams to check in on Irvin Santana. The Angels do need a second baseman, no real Brian Dozier steam, but those are teams to keep an eye on. Oftentimes what happens is seeds are planted now. Those seeds are revisited come the winter meetings in December. So teams to keep an eye on if the Twins end up shopping Irvin and or Dozier. Mariners, Astros, Angels, and undoubtedly some other teams will pop up with a need at second base 
and everybody's looking for starting pitching. The Twins had seven employees, seven paid employees, actually some paid interns, some international scouts with an event going on. Then the Sean Johnsons of the world in Chicago for the Under Armour festivities last week. Pretty much what that is is a lot of the top 2018 high school draft prospects, in fact, just about all of them, were taking part in different activities, including a game on Saturday night. VP Mike Radcliffe could not join the podcast today. He's working a Dominican showcase, a Dominican Republic International Free Agent Showcase. So it never slows down. The Twins acquired $500,000 in the Nationals deal in international money. They will invest that money in some international free agents. They'll announce, well, I don't even know if they've announced any of their other deals, but they'll officially have a couple more guys signed here in a little bit once they turn 16 years old. So the Twins, particularly Mike Radcliffe, Always aggressive on the international free agent market. You think about the 09 class, that's the one that stands out with Miguel Sano, Max Kepler, and Jorge Polanco. All right, back to the Wolves. They are maintaining dialogue with a number of free agents. Some of those free agents are Mike Dunleavy Jr., Anthony Morrow, Alan Anderson. Those three in particular, a little bit Gerald Green, although Gerald Green is not going to end up with the Wolves, it doesn't appear. But on those three, Dunleavy Jr., Morrow, Allen Anderson, no offers have been made. So while the Wolves are maintaining regular dialogue, they have yet to make any of those three an offer. There is a sense all three would come here if the Wolves offered the veteran minimum. I've been asked about Rodney Stuckey. His camp has talked to the Wolves. It sounds like it was more his camp reaching out to the Wolves. Doesn't seem like that interest right now is reciprocated. Also, same goes for Monte Ellis. I've been asked a lot about Monte Ellis. Hey, what about the Wolves having interest in Monte Ellis? It doesn't appear he is atop their wish list. Ian Clark was somebody that they had a good amount of interest in, but I'm told they actually never really pushed it in the end. I mean, we could debate semantics, but it doesn't sound like the Wolves actually extended a formal offer. He goes to New Orleans for like $1.6 million, a steal for New Orleans, it appears, on Tuesday night. But the Wolves did not push super hard on Clark, even though... There was enough back and forth. I think they actually would have taken him in the end if he was still a guy that was out there in a couple weeks. But again, my understanding is they never actually made a formal offer. Tony Allen is still very much on the Wolves' radar. Here's another name. We haven't talked about this name much. I tweeted his name a couple weeks ago, but Dante Cunningham. Dante Cunningham has interest in a reunion with Minnesota. Now, here's the thing. Whether it's Cunningham, Allen, Shabazz, Muhammad, he's not a guy the Wolves have had any contact with, by the way. The Bulls, the Bucks, the Magic, those teams, the Hawks have had contact with Shabazz Muhammad. The Wolves have not talked to Shabazz about a return. Shabazz is not taking the veteran minimum to come back to Minnesota. But the point is, on all these good free agents still available, a number of guys that can that can help teams, these guys can get the veteran minimum on opening night, a week before training camp. There is no rush. Why not wait and see? As an agent told me this week, hey, it looks like Carmel Anthony eventually goes somewhere. Kyrie Irving will eventually go somewhere. The belief across the league is Kyrie Irving gets traded before opening night. He doesn't start the year with the Cavs. The Phoenix Suns are the team to watch on Kyrie Irving. Now, they won't offer Josh Jackson plus that Miami 2018 first and Eric Bledsoe. I'm told they'll do Bledsoe, they'll do the pick, plus Dragonbender. They will not move Josh Jackson, but if in the end Cleveland can do better than that, great. But I think in the end what they have to look at is, okay, Bledsoe, a future first that has a chance to be middle of the pack in a good draft, plus Dragonbender who's got a chance. Can you do better than that? 
for Kyrie Irving. I'm not quite sure. So I would keep an eye on the Phoenix Suns, not the Wolves. I would keep an eye on the Phoenix Suns when it comes to Kyrie Irving. But this agent said, hey, when Kyrie moves, there'll be a handful of players that that also move. When it comes to Carmelo Anthony, that could be a three-team deal. Many players will move teams. It is possible some teams will free up salary cap space. Now, if you're the Wolves, if you want to go get Tony Allen and Dante Cunningham tomorrow, trade Cole Aldrich plus that first, that Oklahoma City first, to Atlanta. Atlanta would absorb Cole Aldrich's contract plus that future first. You could free up cap space to sign a couple free agents today. But the Wolves are thinking, hey, I don't know. You know, not all these guys will be able to get some money. Some of these guys maybe, but in the end, we'll end up with a good free agent or two for the veteran minimum. They're also still after a point guard. Aaron Brooks is certainly a name to watch. But I'm just telling you, Dante Cunningham, Tony Allen, definitely two names to watch. They're maintaining dialogue, though, as I said, with Dunleavy Jr., Morrow, Allen Anderson, some others. As far as I can tell, no dialogue yet on the Gerald Henderson front. But you would think, logically speaking, Gerald Henderson – would make some sense. But I certainly think Cunningham, at least my sense is from talking to league people, Cunningham and Allen are two names to watch. Cunningham, by the way, shot the ball well last year for New Orleans. Charles Cook took that two-way deal with New Orleans. I'm told he sees a path to 45 days on the active roster that financially would benefit these guys greatly, you know, to the fullest extent if these guys who took these two-way deals can get 45 days on the active roster, although the Ian Clark news Certainly a surprise. I'm not sure the Cook camp thought that Ian Clark would end up in New Orleans. But anyway, they let the Wolves know early. Again, semantics, but they let the Wolves know early. They would not take a two-way offer from Minnesota. So whether Minnesota made the offer, I'm not quite sure. But the Wolves knew that Cook would not take a two-way offer here. On Marcus Page, he got a two-way deal from Charlotte on Tuesday night. I'm told the Wolves never made him a two-way offer. So you would think after he played really well in Vegas, the Wolves would have had interest. I'm told no with his North Carolina ties. Charlotte makes a lot of sense. But regardless, the Wolves never made Marcus Page a two-way offer. Melo Tremble, as ESPN first reported, got a partial guarantee from the Wolves. I'm told it's $50,000 or less. Bottom line, he's a camp body. He will spend a good chunk of the season, if not the entire season, in Des Moines. Melo Tremble was not signed to be one of the 14 guys on the Wolves' active roster. I believe it was the Associated Press, first with the scoop on Calvin Booth. He is leaving the Wolves front office. He is off to work for the Denver Nuggets. Title-wise, he gets a promotion, plus working for Tom Thibodeau and Scott Layden. As smart, as brilliant as those guys are, they forget more about basketball in two seconds than most of us will ever know. It is a pressure cooker. It's not the easiest front office to work for. So I don't know in particular when it comes to Calvin Booth what his line of thinking was on that, but I've heard from others with the Wolves that, hey, it is a big-time pressure cooker. More than you could imagine. Way, way more than you could imagine working under Flip Saunders or Milt Newton or going back even to David Kahn, maybe further back or other front offices. It is a tough front office to work for. Rewarding in many ways. You know, they teach you a good work ethic, but I'm just telling you, it is a big-time pressure cooker working for Tom Thibodeau and Scott Layden. We talked about the Ryan Saunders wedding with Glenn Taylor. He was there, as was Andrew Wiggins. He talked about talking with Wiggins. Zach Levine was there. Tyus Jones was there. Nemanja Bialica was also there. Speaking of Bialica, the Wolves PR folks tweeted some number changes, so I will bring those to you. Bialica is now number eight 
switching from number 88 to 8. Jimmy Butler, number 23. I think we knew that. Jamal Crawford, number 11. We knew that. Remember, he was on Scoop Podcast, I don't know, episode 82 or 83 or 84, sometime in the last month or so. And he said he thought about number one but didn't want to ruffle feathers with Tyus Jones. So Jamal Crawford will wear 11. Taj Gibson, how about this? Number 67. And Jeff Teague, number zero. We'll get to some Vikings notes in a second, but more love for Vine Park Brewery on West 7th Street in St. Paul. Vinepark.com on Twitter at Vine underscore park underscore brew. The owner, Andy, also actually makes root beer. Had some root beer floats, Neapolitan root beer floats on Sunday with his root beer. Super good. Then you have a six-year-old, you have a three-year-old. Not a whole lot of free time, but the kids went to bed early on Saturday night, so the wife and I enjoyed some Vine Park Pilsner beer. It was so good. Again, it's not hard to satisfy my beer taste buds, but I'm telling you, and yes, I admit I'm biased, but this beer was so good. It has the Wolfson seal of approval. Be sure to support the sponsor of the Scoop Podcast right now. It is Vine Park Brewery. Vinepark.com. Swing in. You can brew your own beer. You can make your own wine. They help you, or you can just pick up some of their growlers. Again, on West 7th Street, It's in between 35E and downtown. So if you exit West 7th from 35E, it is on your way to downtown Vine Park Brewery. All right, on the Vikings, still no serious concern. I was down there on Monday. Still no serious concern about the Riley Reef injury. I just know there's some internal frustration, not necessarily from Reef. I don't know the Reef camp. I don't know Reef himself, although I talked to him last week. Just some internal frustration with some others with the Vikings that he's missing all of these practices. Joe Berger got some rest during Monday's practice. Veteran maintenance. Keep in mind, he came close to retiring. He's in his mid-30s. Concussion history. If you can give him a blow, they will give him a blow. That won't be his first blow during training camp. Jarek McKinnon is a guy whose contract is up after the season. I am told no extension talks yet. No extension talks on the Jarek McKinnon front. So a big year for Jarek McKinnon. On Linval Joseph, yes, the Vikings do have interest in extending his contract. I'm told no on Anthony Barr, that they'll let this thing play out. I think the Barr camp also sees that, hey, the Vikings would try to get him at a lower price coming off the year he had. We think he's still a stud. Let's see what Anthony does in 2017. Then we can look at a contract extension. The Vikings cannot extend Eric Kendricks or Daniil Hunter, yet they will. Those guys are on their priority list. As somebody with the Vikings front office told me down in Mankato, hey, you know, we can talk about the offense needs to improve this, improve that. This team is still built with its defense. It's the identity of our football team. It's the identity of a Mike Zimmer team. The defense, they will keep that defensive core intact. So I can promise you Kendricks and Hunter are big-time priorities the second they can be extended. But that's not until next offseason. One personnel guy told me, Hey, I said, well, what I did was I said, hey, this was actually during rookie camp before all the veterans got down there. I said, hey, give me a few names of guys that really excite you. You know, guys that you guys have done your homework on going back to OTAs and minicamp, guys that you're excited to see in the full pads. He said, Pat Elfline, that was the first name, Dalvin Cook, and Marshall Kane. There was a lot of excitement about Marshall Kane, the former Iowa kicker. But also Dalvin Cook. It is obvious, talking to so many Vikings people, whether on the record or on background, the love they have for Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook has a chance to be special. They are really impressed with how he is doing down there. In fact, one personnel guy said, hey, we always liked him. We thought he would be good, but he is further along now 
than they ever could have imagined. So Dalvin Cook getting all sorts of love from Vikings folks. Also heard something interesting about why the Vikings' big shots did not go to the Ohio State and Michigan Pro Days going back a number of months ago. I will follow up with specifics if I can nail down every single detail, but it certainly is interesting. They had planned on going to the Michigan and Ohio State Pro Days, and Rick Spielman, Mike Zimmer, and a few others ended up not going. They might have had a lower-level scout at one or both, but the big shots did not go. Interesting, after they had planned on going, what changed? Why didn't they go? So we will dig on that for future Scoop Podcasts. That does it for Scoop Podcast episode number 87. Always appreciate you listening. I'll save some Gophers notes for next week. Nothing too pressing, but we didn't get to Gophers football. We didn't get to Gophers basketball, and we did not get to the Wild. We got to the Lynx some. So I'll try to get to those teams next week. But my goal is to always make this podcast about 60 minutes or a little over 60 minutes. So we will call it a Scoop Podcast episode 87. Thanks for listening, everyone.